0: I want to put a question up on the screen. Slide. If you could ask God for anything, what would it be? You know, it's kind of like making a wish on your birthday. You blow out the candles. Before you blow out the candles, you make that wish, or the the, the children's storybook of the genie and rubbing the bottle and getting three wishes and deciding what would those three wishes be. But the biblical version of that is this, the Christian version of making wishes is making requests of God. And so the question that I would pose this morning as we talk about living the blessed life and finding favor, if you could ask God for anything, what would it be? I mean, every week we receive prayer requests from so many of you, and they're all legitimate requests, expressing needs, expressing real genuine needs in people's lives, physical needs, family needs, marital situations, um, psychological problems, financial stresses, lots of needs in our lives, along with lots of wants and desires, right? Right? But if there was one above all others that would be far-reaching and have the greatest impact in your life, what would that request be that you would make of God? In 2 Chronicles chapter 1, Solomon had the opportunity. Solomon, the brand new king, his, his father has died. David is gone. Solomon is the new king, and God says, I'm giving you the opportunity to ask me for one thing. What will it be? And Solomon could have asked for all kinds of things. He could have asked for wealth, fame, power, uh, stronger military, a bigger kingdom, happy marriage, healthy kids, newer chariots, bigger house. He could have asked for all kinds of things. Solomon said to God, You have shown great and steadfast love to David my father and have made me king in his place. Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people. For who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? Now, granted, you don't have the responsibility of being a king or president of a nation. But you've got challenges, you've got difficulties, you've got stresses in life, you've got things that pull you every which way. You've got to make decisions. You deal with family issues, such as Stephanie's book talks about. You deal with personal issues, things going on inside your soul, inside your your heart. And so, would Solomon's request maybe take the place of what you originally thought in your head when I asked you the question, What would you ask for God? Would you change your request? Now that you have heard Solomon's, Lord, give me wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in, in life. Give me wisdom and knowledge for this week. It was apparently exactly what God hoped to hear from Solomon. God answered Solomon, because this was in your heart, You have not asked for possessions. You have not asked for wealth or honor or the life of those who hate you. You haven't asked for revenge. You have not even asked for long life. But you have asked for wisdom. You have asked for knowledge for yourself that you may govern my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. And then on top of that God said, but I am also going to give you riches and possessions and honor like no other kings before you. And so this morning we're in week three of this little four-week mini-series on finding favor, how to live a blessed life, where we're going to the scriptures and just asking ourselves, what are some of those things that God's word says about living a blessed life? And some of those blessings come from being, just simply being alive. And then for those of us who know the Lord, from being a child of God, I am loved by you. You're a good, good father. I am loved by you. That's who I am. Some blessings come just from being And then some blessings come from doing as a child of God. Week one, Pastor Will took us through Psalm 32, blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sin is covered. That's where you start. You don't want to go anyplace else before you got that taken care of. Are my multitudes of sins taken care of? And yes, they are because of the cross, because I put my faith in Jesus Christ who died for all my sins thousands upon thousands upon thousands of sins that I've committed in the course of my life. Sins of omission and sins of commission. Blessed is that person whose sins are forgiven. Last week, blessed is the one who cares for the poor. And we found out in the scriptures that that's really, really important to God. God cares about the poor. He cares about the orphans and the fatherless. He cares about those who don't have enough food to eat, don't have shelter over their head, don't have clothes to wear. He said, blessed is the one who figures out ways to care for the poor, and so that we don't just consume, 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 but we have the heart of God for the fatherless, for the orphan, for the widow. Today we learn that a blessed life comes to the one who finds wisdom, the one who finds wisdom. Our text is going to be Proverbs 3, written by that same King Solomon, and so I'd ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. 1 through 7, and then down to 13. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. Verse 13, blessed is the one who finds wisdom, the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. The Spirit of God would teach us truths that would cause us to see you more clearly and love you more dearly and walk with you in the days of our lives that you give us. We submit to you and to your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. And so Solomon, inspired by God's Spirit, lays out in clear terms what a blessed life looks like, what it consists of. And he says it's all about finding wisdom. It's all about finding wisdom. Now, we're not talking, just so you know, we're not talking about being, becoming some uh, sage. You might, you know, Mr. Miyagi or, you know, those kinds of, you know, where you, every time you open your mouth or post a comment on Facebook or tweet on Twitter, we live in really weird days, don't we? <laughs> something wonderfully profound comes either from your lips or from your fingers as you type out something and people just say, whoa, that was just absolutely incredible. I'm so glad that he tweeted that. Um, no, wisdom has to do with knowing how to live well before the face of God. Um, wisdom has to do with living in such a way that brings favor from both God and your fellow man. Wisdom has to do with living char- with, with character and integrity, honesty, compassion. You know how to conduct yourself both in public And in private, behind closed doors. You know when to speak, and you know when to be quiet. You walk with humility. You number your days. You live with eternity, always before you. You See, the need for wisdom shows up every day, does it not? The need for wisdom shows up every single day in my life. I need wisdom to be a husband, I need wisdom to be a dad, a grandfather, a pops. I need wisdom to be a pastor. I need wisdom to handle my finances, I need wisdom to handle my heart. I need wisdom to handle all the issues that come flooding into my life. And I would assume the same is true for you as you go through life's trials, as you face obstacles, as you deal with people, especially as you deal with yourself. You need wisdom. And so Solomon's telling us that the search for wisdom and then actually finding wisdom is the most important search of all and the most important discovery of all. Now Solomon personifies wisdom using the female gender. He says, "'She is more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Her ways are ways of pleasantness. All her paths are peace.'" Those who hold her fast are called blessed. See, Solomon paints a very attractive picture here to show just how appealing wisdom is. I mean, it's almost like he's painting a picture of a beautiful woman and the benefits that come from being married to her, from embracing her and holding her fast and never letting her go all your days. So where does this wisdom come from? Well, to answer that question, Solomon first gives us a couple of negatives, and then he gives us a couple of positives. First, the negatives. Solomon says wisdom comes from not forgetting. Kevin, it was so appropriate that you just mentioned that this morning, not forgetting. Verse 1, my son, do not forget my teaching. And so wisdom comes from not forgetting what God has said to us in his word, from his laws and his statutes and his precepts and his commandments and his principles and his truths, his warnings. Do you all know what the longest psalm is? 119. The shortest psalm is 117, just two, two before it, two verses. 119 has 176 verses. Try memorizing that psalm. It's broken down into 22 sections, 8 verses each, each section headed by a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And throughout this, the entire Psalm, what's most amazing about Psalm 119 isn't its length, but it's the fact that all 176 verses extol the virtues of God's laws, commandments, statutes, precepts, ordinances, 176 ways to say that. And sprinkled throughout Psalm 119 are several times where the psalmist says that he will not forget these things. Verse 16 I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. I will never forget your precepts. 109 I do not forget your law. 141 I do not forget your precepts. 153 I do not forget your law. 176, the last verse, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandment. There's a deliberate, determined resolve that Solomon is stressing here to not forget the words that God has spoken, laid down in the scriptures. Now, why do we need to hear that? Because we've got a problem. We forget. We forget things that are most important. We get caught up in the swirl of life, in the busyness of our lives and our days, and taking care of this issue and addressing this problem and paying our bills and and taking care of the house and doing our jobs and raising kids, and we forget. We forget. Jeremiah 18, 15, My people have forgotten me, the Lord says. Hosea 4, verse 6, my people are destroyed. This is a compassionate God talking about his people. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. You have forgotten the law of your God. So we are destroyed by our forgetfulness. That's why Peter, I think, when he wrote his second epistle... He said, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, adding to your faith, virtue, and self-control, and goodness, and godliness, and brotherly affection, all these things. He says, I, I'm going to keep reminding you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. And by the way, brothers and sisters, that's one of the primary objectives and tasks of a pastor, is to remind you of these things, weekly, just keep reminding, keep bringing you back to the truths. So, wisdom comes from not forgetting, but then tied to not forgetting is the second one, wisdom also comes from not forsaking. If forgetting is failing to remember, forsaking is failing to be faithful, If wisdom, if forgetting is failing to remember, forsaking is failing to be faithful. Traditional marriage vows call for a forsaking, right? Forsaking all others, be faithful to her or him as long as you both shall live. And so the opposite of forsaking is being faithful, holding fast, keeping that which is of great value, embracing it. You forsake all others in marriage so that you will not forsake the one to whom you are married. Solomon says, don't forsake God's commandments. Verse one, let your heart keep my commandments. We find that same exhortation in other Proverbs. Chapter four, verse five, get wisdom, get insight, do not forget, do not turn away from the words of my mouth. So forsaking is exactly forsaking is a turning away. You haven't forgotten it, you know it, but you turn away from it. You you walk away from it. It's listening to other counterfeit voices. It's chasing after other lovers. Other voices that are purporting to be true, other messages in the, in our culture. You're listening to those voices more than you're listening to the voice of God. And then you're failing to keep your heart faithful to God's voice. And so your vow to Christ is saying, Lord Jesus, forsaking all others, I will be faithful only unto you. You see, God has said, Proverbs verse, chapter 4, two, verse 2, I give you good precepts. I give you good precepts. I've given you stuff that's really, really good. I've given you stuff that'll, that'll help you live well. Do not forsake my teaching. Proverbs 7, keep my commandments and live. Please, it's like our Heavenly Father saying, please listen to me. Please don't go your own way. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Now with that in mind, keep my teaching. Don't forsake my teaching. You go in your head over to the New Testament, the primary activity of Jesus that you find in the four Gospels is what? Teaching. He performs miracles, he has confrontations with the scribes and the Pharisees, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The fundamental thing you find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is Jesus teaching. He began to teach beside the sea. He went about among all the villages teaching. He was teaching daily in the temple, teaching in their synagogues. The crowds were astonished at his teaching. He was teaching as one who had authority. Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to his teaching. And what did Jesus say about the things he taught? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. My teaching will never pass away. See, friends, we live in a world where things pass away, right? I just took the second load of stuff in the back of my truck down to St. Vincent de Paul. Goodwill, you know, stuff. We're just cleaning out our basement, stuff. We've given some stuff to our kids. We've given some stuff to some friends, some folks in the church. We're, we're, We're getting rid of stuff. Why? Because things pass away. Fads pass away. Today's fads will be tomorrow's memory. Songs pass away. Styles pass away. And aren't those of us who lived in the 70s and 80s glad that styles pass away? Kingdoms and nations pass away. Reading in Ezekiel and Daniel this week, you know, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, empires, kingdoms have passed away. The day will come, brothers and sisters, when the United States will pass away. And Jesus said, my words will not pass away. So think about this. Got to tie these together. Don't forget my teaching. Don't forsake my teaching. That's wisdom. And Jesus says, my words will not pass away. Proverbs 3, blessed is the one who finds wisdom. Wisdom. And Paul writes in Colossians 2 verses 2 and 3, Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 1 Corinthians 1, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So the person of Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. All wisdom and knowledge are hidden, are found, are to be discovered in Christ. In knowing him, in listening to him, in meeting with him in your prayer closet, in heeding and keeping his words, in abiding in him, in walking with him and talking with him, meeting with him right here. All the wisdom that you find in the Bible is his wisdom. Any wisdom that you find in the world is his wisdom. And this is why you must not forget it or forsake it. It is to be your treasure. Again, Proverbs 3, the gain from her is better than gain from silver. Her profit is better than gold. She is more precious than jewels. Nothing you can desire can compare with her. And So you say, well, Pastor Gary, how do I keep from forgetting and forsaking the wisdom of God By not forgetting or forsaking Christ. By keeping Christ in front of you all the time. By keeping his words in front of you all. By keeping the word of God in front of you day in and day out. By prioritizing this into your day. If if meeting with Jesus is not number one priority in your day, you need to rethink your priorities. Reschedule your days. You're cheating yourself. You're cheating yourself. You're depriving yourself of meeting with God. Meet with God in his word. That's the blessed man. That's the blessed woman. I want to throw a little diagram up on the screen from Navigators' days. I was was involved with Intervarsity, but one one of the diagrams that I've just found really valuable over the years is, I think it's from the Navigators what do you do with the word? He says you need all five fingers. You need to hear it, you need to read it, you need to study it, and you need to memorize it. And then the thumb is you need to meditate upon it. And and you need all five to have a really good grasp of God's word. And so on Sunday mornings, you hear it, podcasts or sermons, you need to be reading it. Go from reading to studying it. That's where you ask it questions. You analyze it. You roll it over. You know. You 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 chew on it. You memorize it. You put it to heart. Your word. Have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you? And then you meditate on it. You apply it. Meditation means figuring out what. It, how does. How do I apply this to my life? How do I take this and make it a part of my 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 Mondays and my Tuesdays and my Wednesdays. Solomon mentions two other things that are a vital part of wisdom that we're not to forsake. Steadfast love and faithfulness. Steadfast love and faithfulness. Let not steadfast love, we're in verse three. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. It's like a a neck chain without a clasp. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Don't write it on tablets of paper or don't write it on your... Just on your, on your electronic tablets, write these on the tablet of your heart. Now, steadfast love and faithfulness are two of God's perfections, okay? Those are two of the things that make God perfect. And they're always found in combination. When the Lord passed before Moses, he proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. 2 Samuel, may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. Psalm 25, all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. You find this over and over again. Steadfast love and faithfulness are almost always found together. Two of God's perfections. And again, brothers and sisters, I would tell you, without these, you do not have God. Without these, you do not have God. God. You might have some powerful being in your mind, but you strip God of steadfast love and faithfulness. You do not have the God of this book. Steadfast, always there. You can always depend upon it. Whether you know it or not, you need to get, whether you know it or not, you depend on God's steadfast love and faithfulness every single day, moment by moment. Take those away from you, and you're destroyed. Then the carryover, the the implication for us, if these are God's perfections, steadfast love, mercy, his kindness shown to us, and faithfulness, then they should adorn my and your character. That's wisdom, Proverbs says. Don't forsake steadfast love and faithfulness. This is the way God is, and now God is saying, this is the way I want you to be. Practice steadfast love. Practice my faithfulness. Jesus said in Matthew 5, blessed are the merciful. People who are full of mercy are practicing steadfast love. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. There's the blessing. Blessed are the merciful. Binding yourself with steadfast love and faithfulness. So wisdom comes from not forgetting and not forsaking. Okay. Now let's look at the positives. Wisdom also comes from ever-fearing Fear the Lord, turn away from evil. That doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean cringing, but it means having a holy reverence for who God is. A holy reverence that God, God brought you into this world and God could take you out. that God is God and you're not God. Fear the Lord, turn away from evil. Ever fearing, wisdom is found in having a fear of God. That's where wisdom begins. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then also ever trusting. Wisdom comes from ever trusting. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge God. He'll make your path straight. Now, let me show you why this is so, so crucial in the days in which we live. Let's bring it into today. I read an article this week that I, that I think is just so relevant to what I was in preparing for this message, in terms of not forgetting, not forsaking, ever fearing, ever trusting. Keep those four ideas in your mind. It's about those in the Christian community today who refer to themselves as progressive Christians. The author of the article, Lisa Childers, states, quote, Progressive Christianity is tough to define because there isn't a creed or a list of beliefs that progressive Christians officially unite around. But she goes on to point out there are three general areas of shared thinking among progressive Christians. First of all, there is a a belief that the Bible is unreliable. There's a shared skepticism among some in the Christian community today of the Bible's reliability, that believing such things as the virgin birth, Jesus' miracles, the resurrection, not to mention Old Testament stories like the parting of the Red Sea or Jonah in the belly of the whale or Daniel being thrown into the lion's den or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fiery furnace. Those are to be taken as metaphors. Not historical, because they just don't fit with the way we think of life. James Burklow, a progressive Christian, states, Anything in the Bible that looks miraculous or contrary to the normal functions of the natural world is not factual, but rather is mythological. Progressive author Rachel Held Evans suggests Christians should be less concerned about the historical validity of these stories and more focused on the theological points they teach. So that's the first shared idea among progressive Christians. The second, an unresolved answer to the problem of suffering and evil. It's always been a problem. It's always been something that's caused caused us issues. But the question is, do you allow that to dictate your view of God? When it comes to the reality of suffering and bad things happening in the world, forest fires in California... Tornadoes, hurricanes, cancer, Alzheimer's, make your list long, addictions in families. They've adopted the mantra that either God is loving but not all-powerful, or God is all-powerful but cannot possibly be loving, but that he can't possibly be both. And then thirdly, a culture-adapting morality. As cultural norms change, progressive Christians say that we must adapt to these cultural changes. And so we need to redefine marriage. We need to redefine gender roles. We need to readjust our thinking about sexual preferences. There is the conviction that we need to adapt our understanding of the Bible's teachings in order to accommodate our culture's shifting moral standards. And so we accommodate, our, we accommodate the Bible to fit reality rather than accommodating and changing ourselves to fit the Bible. And friends, it appears to me that with all three of those, a belief the Bible is unreliable, an unresolved answer to the problem of suffering and evil, a culture-adapting morality, it appears to me that with all three of these, there is a forgetting, a forsaking, not fearing, and not trusting God as He has revealed Himself to us in redemptive history, in the Scriptures, and in the person of Jesus Christ. You're basically choosing to walk away from those things in order to figure out some way to adapt this to the days in which we live. The progressive Christian says, there are things in the Bible that I can't reconcile. There's the presence of evil and suffering in the world that doesn't seem to have any good answers. And our culture's moral standards are evolving and therefore we need to accommodate our faith to these three realities. This is the day in which we live the author of the article, states, Whatever it may be, once a person makes their own thoughts, feelings, and opinions the authoritative source for truth, their spirituality will reflect what they prefer. Do we have that? Steve, do we have that quote up on the screen? Whatever it may be, once a person makes their own thoughts, feelings, and opinions the authoritative source for truth. That's such a critical statement. Whenever, you make, whenever, you, whenever you're tempted to start making your thoughts, your feelings, your opinions, the authoritative source for truth, you're holding those things above the scriptures instead of holding the scriptures above those issues. And the farther a Christian walks down this path, the farther they get from a genuine relationship with God. Tim Keller acknowledges this. What happens if you eliminate anything from the Bible that offends your sensibility and crosses your will? If you pick and choose what you want to believe and reject the rest, how will you ever have a God who can contradict you? How will you ever have a God who could challenge you? You're suddenly above God. You won't. You'll have a stepford God. A God essentially of your own making and not a God with whom you can have a relationship. No, friends, blessed is the man, blessed is the woman who finds wisdom and wisdom says trust God. Especially when you don't understand. Especially when you don't have answers. Especially when you can't connect all the dots. Especially when you can't see through the fog. Especially when you can't see over the horizon. Wisdom says, trust God. Trust the one who has revealed himself so beautifully and powerfully and clearly. Trust God who gave us his son. And what's the result of this life? Proverbs says, wisdom brings three things. Life, favor, and peace. Peace. Brings a full life, brings the best possible life. Wisdom brings favor. You will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. And wisdom brings peace in the midst of your circumstances that are chaotic, crazy at times. Wisdom, the wisdom of Christ, walking with the Lord, listening to Jesus' voice, listening to your Father speak. That's where you'll find peace. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. Wisdom's paths are not chaotic. Wisdom brings peace into the chaos because Christ comes into your chaos. Now, let me wrap it up with this. Do you know what's so wonderful about finding wisdom? It's for anyone who wants it. It is for anyone who wants it. Proverbs 9. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. And she has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, that's me. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. It's offered to all. Why? Because Christ offers himself to all. Jesus said, come to me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus, the wisdom of God, said, I am the way and the truth and the life. So, friends, come to Christ. Come to Christ. And if you already know Christ, come back to him. Return yourself to Christ. Come meet with him this week. Let Christ be your wisdom. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. Let's pray together. even as a a tiny baby cries out for her mom even as an infant needs to be fed Lord we would pray that you would give us a hunger and a thirst that we would draw near to you you are the source of wisdom Christ the wisdom of God Lord, I pray for myself. I pray for my church family that we would be men and women and young people who would seek you. Who would draw near to you. Father, thank you for sending your son, the Lord Jesus. When we look at Christ, we see wisdom in the flesh. When we listen to Christ, we hear wisdom. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you for for coming, living among us, showing us God, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. And then beyond that, that you would lay down your life, that we might have life, that we might know you, we might have a relationship with you. We do love you, Lord. We love you because you first loved us. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for giving your life. Thank you for shedding your blood. We give you praise and thanks. We pray in Christ's name. God's people agreed by saying, Amen. If you're here this morning,